Hello everyone and welcome to Reality Speaks. We are continuing our series today talking about the five-fold ministry because our mission is to talk about what's really going on in the world, what's really in the Bible, what are we really supposed to be doing as Christians in this modern world? And the fivefold ministry is for the perfecting of the saints, for building us up, for making us what we are meant to be. It's how we will become what we are really meant to be. And I am incredibly excited for you to hear today's episode. It was absolutely incredible getting together with our guest today, and that is Brother Chris Green, one of the best young evangelists out there in the modern apostolic church. So, since Brother Green is an evangelist, we are talking today, of course, about evangelists, one of the fivefold ministry. This episode, we are talking about evangelists, and I just gotta say, um, I had high expectations for this episode, and it absolutely exceeded my expectations by far. Brother Green is absolutely awesome, and you will be blessed with what he has to say if you will just listen to what is said. I assure you, you will be blessed. So tune in. uh, Stay tuned. We're going to go to our sponsored ad for this episode and then we will be right into the episode talking to brother chris green about the role of an evangelist in the modern apostolic church okay we are waiting for the live stream it should be up any minute but um it is good to have you guys with us uh Good to have have you with us, Brother Green. Uh, We're going to be talking today about the role of an evangelist. And we've got some questions. um, But, of course, we are kind of doing a series. We've got some different people that we've talked to. Uh, Last week we were talking about teachers, and the week before that we talked about pastors. We're just trying to have some guests who fill out those roles, talking about the fivefold ministry, how it says that we... He has given some pastors and teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. So today we're talking about evangelists. We have Brother Green with us today. I was actually kind of curious what the biblical definition of it was, and I was kind of surprised by what it said. It said that uh, an evangelist, according to the Strong's Concordance, is a preacher of the gospel. I was like, that's a very basic definition. (laughs) Compared to what we've kind of done, compared to kind of what we call it today. So, uh, uh, how how do you define your ministry specifically? How would Man, you kind of define yours? That's a uh, that's a full. Uh, it's a heavy question. Complex question, man. It's a complex I question. Ministry. It's one um, of those that it's hard. <laughs> I define my ministry as struggling at best. <laughs> no. Um, you know, one of the things that always comes to mind, first of all, when I think of my like personal ministry, uh, 
not just as an evangelist, but my personal, like that ministry that's unique to me. You know, I think of what Paul, he said in first Corinthians 15 and he told them, he said, um, he said, I'm, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I'm not even worthy to be labeled, you know, a minister, so to speak. He said, but you know, he, um, he talks about his, opportunity to witness the resurrection power of jesus christ he said i got to see him as well as 500 other people um he said but i'm not even worthy to be called an apostle he said but um he said because i persecuted the church of god you know i persecuted the church i have a past i have failures um i have inadequacies and, and deficiencies and different problems in my life but he says but i am what i am by the grace of god and for me, I feel like that defines, from from my own uh, perception, that defines who I am. Because we all have a past, you know. Um, but I look at my past and I think, you know, my goodness, uh, there's some things I can't share from the pulpit, you know. And uh, without people kind of sh- shaking their head, you know. Um, but I think, you know, like Paul, I am what I am by the grace of God. And, um, and so that gives me confidence in who I am now, more specifically in the role of an evangelist. Um, I think that all of the offices of ministry, the fivefold ministry, you know, uh, apostle, prophet, pastor, you know, evangelist, teacher, I think all of those have somewhat evolved in a way, according to the context of our time, as well as the context of our culture. Um, and, uh, you even look at even today, uh, pastor, the word pastor or the role pastor, the office of a pastor is not the same um, from from state to state, from country to country. If you've ever traveled overseas, especially for missions, for ministry, you, you notice that that man, the, what pastors do in Malawi, Africa and Bangladesh and, you know, um, Austria, uh, um, uh not, uh, not, yeah, Vienna, I was going to say Vienna, Vienna, Austria, and, and as opposed to Austin, Texas, where I'm from, you know, it's completely different. It looks completely different. The same thing goes for evangelists. Um, and as of right now, for the last eight years, um, I've been an evangelist um, by calling. Um, and there's a little bit of a controversial side to it, just because um, in terms of the 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 connotation the definition the perspective of evangelism um and i don't want to get controversial i encourage everybody that's doing the work of ministry the work of you know uh preaching the word of propagating the gospel so i don't want to uh, i don't want to condemn anybody but i do believe that evangelism is a is a calling uh to be an evangelist is a calling um and i do want to be very clear that Everybody should do the work of evangelism to some degree, just like everybody should preach to some degree, because Paul also said it pleases God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe in the word uh, in the original language to preach is not a licensed minister standing on a platform behind a podium in front of a congregation preaching in a microphone. The, the definition to preach is to publicly proclaim what you believe. So that's yeah. that's publicly is a one-on-one Bible study or in the grocery store at school or at, at the job or in your family sharing, hey, 
I, this is what I believe, you know, um, in the word of God. And so, um, um, everybody needs to do the work of ministry. Um, in fact, this may sound weird and anti like, uh, or heretical, but everybody does the work of a, a pastor at some point. I'm not saying you are a pastor, but yeah. think of what a pastor does. They shepherd. And even if you're a teenager and you're starting a Bible study of a few people at your school, well, in a sense, God is allowing you to do the work of a pastor without maybe you never, maybe you'll never pastor a church. Maybe you'll never receive the calling of a pastor, but yet you can, uh, through the grace, like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. What's the grace of God? The grace of God, uh, in my sort of simplistic definition is, um, the grace of God is what, uh, what allows us to be what we need to be, um, that we cannot be without his grace. Um, and so the grace of God will allow you to be whatever you need to be. And Paul said, I am uh, what I am by the grace of God. At one point, Paul said, I am all things to all men. I, some, some days I have to be this, some days I have to be that, but I am what I am by the grace of God. So let me digress. Um, you may do the work of a pastor some days, you know, just teaching a Bible study or, um, or cleaning a bathroom, you know, that's in essence, the work of a pastor. You got to clean bathrooms. You got to, you got to maintain the church building and, um, things of that sort, but that doesn't make you a pastor. And so there's a lot of people that do the work of evangelism without having the calling of an evangelist. And, and so, um, there's some people that even, uh, today in our culture, they think, well, if you preach at a different church other than your home church, then you're an evangelist. Um, that that has come somewhat become the reductionist view of um, evangelism. You know that if you preach out, if you preach for a youth group down the street, you know at Second Pentecostal Church, and you attend First Pentecostal Church, then you're an evangelist now because you preached out, right? Well, yeah. maybe you are an evangelist, but that's not what really, that's not the identity of an evangelist. You may have gone and done the work of, a, of an evangelist, and, and you may have reaped a harvest, or you may have provided encouragement, a word of faith for the church, but, but you, you don't have the calling of an evangelist. I know where I was when God called me to be an evangelist. Because I, di- I didn't want to be an evangelist. I didn't want to travel. I mean, why? Well, I, sure, I want to travel, but who doesn't want to travel? Uh, but I, I'm a homebody. I wanted to go to Austin and plant a church or, or to take a church or help, you know, my family, whatever. And God said, no, I'm calling you to be an evangelist. You're going to travel for a season. That season has turned out to be eight years so far. Um, wow. And um, that calling was confirmed. Now, I'll be real honest with you. Um the whole the story is of course you know too long to share in detail but but i began traveling eventually the lord began to open doors that i didn't open i knocked on doors as jesus says knock and the door shall be open but i i knocked which means to prepare i prepared i i went to urshan graduate school of theology got you know the, a degree there but that you know that's that was just one little step of the process um i did different internships around the movement. Um, I served my local pastor. I prayed, I fasted, I did everything I could to, to knock on the door and prepare. Um, and then the Lord began to open doors for me as an evangelist. And I, I remember probably the first two years of traveling full time around North America and overseas. Um, I preached almost exclusively for North American missions, churches, home missions, churches, and then foreign missions, churches, 
um, which are churches that if I can just be real honest with you, you're not, you're not making a big paycheck. You know, you're not buying a big home and a fancy boat and new golf clubs and everything like that preaching, you know, for a church of five people. And, and so I had to learn, I'm not in this for the money. I learned from the very beginning. I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in this for the prestige. I'm not in this for the pat on the back, the affirmation of man. I'm in this for the will of God. And I was living out of my car. Very often at times I would live out of my car, sleep in the back seat of my car. I would drive. I just told uh, a friend yesterday a story of when I first started evangelizing and I drove 22 hours to a church across the nation. And the pastor, God bless his heart, all he had the money to feed me with was enough money to take me to the gas station and get me a candy bar uh, for dinner. And that was my dinner after 22 hours of traveling. And, and um, you know, uh I've had some interesting stories, you know, of sleeping in different weird places, uh, overseas uh, missionaries put me in hostels, you know, where you're sharing hotel rooms with strangers and, and just praying, uh, you're sleeping with your luggage like this because you don't want anybody to steal your stuff and and your Bible even closer because if you do uh, die, you want to go straight to heaven, you know, and and just some strange places, you know, been overseas where I've had to eat some weird stuff, been uh, on this side of the pond where I've had to eat some weird stuff, uh, uh, you know, gone to some potluck dinners, you know, potluck Pentecostal churches, you know, it's dangerous. But anyways, um, I'll, I'll, fin- I'll finish this question real quickly. I, I started traveling and I was doing the work of an evangelist, but I didn't feel like an evangelist at all. I was sleeping in the backseat of my car. I wasn't seeing people get the Holy Ghost. I wasn't I wasn't seeing anything. It seemed like I was causing more bad than I was good, you know, and and uh, but it was because I had been called that sustained me in the midst of that resistance. You know, I would have family call me and say, we haven't seen you in six months. Where are you? Like, why did why? uh, I remember missing cousins weddings, you know, and and family calling me saying, why are you missing your cousin's wedding? You know, they were at your, or they were at your birthday and they were at this. And why are you missing your cousin's wedding? Or why are you missing Thanksgiving? Why are you missing Christmas? Do you not love your family? And I'm like, yes, I love my family, but, but I have to do the, I have to do what I'm called to do, you know? And when my calling was challenged and I remained in the calling, that's when I became uh, uh, cognizant that's when I recognize my calling. Okay, now I am solidified in my own heart that I am an evangelist because I've been challenged. Um, I, I was reading it yesterday uh, when Jesus says, let me find it real quick. This is just coming to mind. In Luke chapter 14, he says, "If any, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus isn't literally saying, please hate your family, hate your parents. Obviously, he's already preached, love your brother like you love me. Love your honor, your father and your mother. But he's showing them what it should look like when you pursue Jesus, when you pursue the calling to be a disciple of Jesus. You should cause people to wonder, man, does this guy even love his family anymore? He missed his he missed his dad's birthday. He missed Mother's Day. He missed Christmas. He missed his brother's wedding. And he missed all these things. And man, 
man. He must hate his family. No, I don't hate my family. I just know that I have been called to do something that is greater than me. And I've been born to do this. And I refuse to settle for anything less. I'm not going to be satisfied with the six-figure income, the two-story house, the three-car garage, the white picket fence, and two dogs, and wife, and four kids, and all this. That's the American dream. But that's not God's vision for me. God's vision for me is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. God's calling for me is to be an evangelist. And so when that calling was challenged, that's when I knew I am an evangelist. And and it took me a few years. So don't don't be discouraged if it takes you a while. Even when you're fulfilling that calling, don't be discouraged when it takes you a while to understand that calling. It took me years of full-time evangelism to understand what my purpose as an evangelist was. I, the first two years, I would preach a sermon. I'd preach way, I would preach sermons way too long that didn't make any sense with no points, no direction, no move of God. Um, it was so bad. And, and then finally God spoke to me and said, As an evangelist, I don't need you to preach revelation. I need you to preach confirmation. He said, if you will preach confirmation, the spirit of revelation will flow naturally. And so I was so insecure because God had told me, go back to the basics. As an evangelist, you're not there to preach some good fancy conference youth congress sermon. They, they hear good sermons every week from the preachers in their church, their pastor and others in their church. And you're not there to out-preach the pastor. God said, you're there to preach the basics and confirm what the pastor has been teaching and preaching. So literally, I remember like when it first happened, I remember preaching Acts 2.38 for the very first time after two and a half years of full-time oh, evangelism. I did not preach Acts chapter 2 for two and a half years of full-time evangelism because I thought, well, everybody's already heard this. So why would I preach that? You know, this won't impress anybody. The moment I say, Acts, please turn your Bibles to Acts 2.38, people are going to say, oh, God, here we go again. Another one of these sermons. That's what was going on in my spirit, like this insecurity of the moment I say, okay, uh, you know, Acts chapter 2.1, when the day of Pentecost is fully come, they're going to say, oh, here we go again. But what amazed me is that when I preached and I, I narrowed my sermons down from, you know, an hour and a half to 30 minutes or less. And I'd preach the basics, preach one God. His name is Jesus. You know, hero is the Lord. Our God is one. Neither is there salvation in the other. There's none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. You know, I'm preaching the basics for 20, 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, boom, the first time I preached Acts 2.38, nine people received the gift of the Holy Ghost nine people now that's that's big that's huge for a guy that i'm not i'm two and a half years i'm not seeing anybody get the holy ghost i'm not seeing anybody with stammering lips and all of a sudden oh if i preach the holy ghost people actually receive the holy ghost you know and then you have all these saints and seriously even to this day eight years later one of the i don't know how to say it like politically correct or whatever but one of the greatest compliments um, one of the greatest affirmations, one of the greatest validations, one of the greatest just uh, enjoyments of my ministry outside of people being saved is when the pastor comes and says, man, that's what we needed. We just needed a simple word of faith to sort of just, you know, 
uplift us and or when a pastor says man i've been preaching that for weeks and it's like it's not they're not getting it and you came and confirmed what i've been preaching and it just the light bulb came on and boom and exploded like that to me is so amazing and so for me as a, the work of an evangelist i see it like this i'm not come if i see it as like a car that's sort of on the side of the road that needs a jump start okay that's the church and as an evangelist here i come Okay, to help the church, you know, get that jolt of, uh, you know, uh, spark, you know, the um, jumpstart the car or get this car going. It's not my job to sit in the driver's seat and take the steering wheel and turn left or turn right or any of that. That's the pastor's job. He's the visionary of that church. But as the evangelist, I come up behind the bumper and I'm pushing and I'm pushing with the pastor. I'm pushing with the church. And I'm saying, okay, I'm going to provide every ounce of faith, anointing, gifting, and energy that I have to push this church forward somehow, some way to get this thing going, to, to see harvest, to see revival, to see demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And so as an evangelist, again, I'm not turning the ship. I'm not turning the car. I'm not turning the church left or right. I'm here to just push in the direction that the church is already headed. Sorry yeah. for that hour-long sermon oh, there man. no man that, is, that, that excitement <laughs> was awesome <laughs> yes that is exactly what that is exactly what we're looking for here today um so there is a, a question here so in that context of that confirmation and all that what exactly is it what is your vision when you're walking into a church what are you looking to have accomplished when you come in for a revival or service or uh, what what whatever it may be whatever event it may be that you're walking into what is what is it that you are wanting to see accomplished when you walk in yeah that's that's a great question and another question that's really difficult to answer with just oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> one or two words but but um but really again one of the things again is is when the pastor, when I see the pastor that's that, that's uplifted, because um, not just the pastor, but the people, um, I'm only there for a certain amount of time. It may be one service. It may be one weekend of services, and I'm gone, you know. So what I want to see is that there's something that, that lingers. There's a residue, you know, that sticks um, so that when I'm gone, uh, there's still some substance there. Uh, one of the testimonies that'll help answer the question: I was in, I was in Long Island, New York, for the Davis's church and uh, Bethel Pentecostal Church, and and we had on like one Sunday we had something around I, I don't remember the exact number I don't have it in front of me, the numbers in front of me, but it was somewhere around sixty plus people received the gift of the Holy Ghost for the first time on one Sunday service, and. Um, so right there, I mean, that's, that's effectiveness. That's, uh, you know, success. That's exciting, you know, and I, um, of course, who's not excited about one people, one person receiving the Holy Ghost, but, but beyond that, uh, the next level of excitement for me was, is I didn't pray one of those people through to the Holy Ghost. That's something I preached a simple word of faith. You know, I helped give instruction. I did my part, yeah. but we had talked to the church that week and done a Holy Ghost or altar working seminar, yeah. you know, and teaching how to pray for people. And I wanted them to catch it, you know, and they caught it. 
that Sunday, they, they all prayed. And I'm telling you, there were fourth and fifth and sixth generation Pentecostal saints who are saved. They've got their tickets stamped to heaven. They're ready for glory, but they've never prayed anybody through the Holy Ghost in, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of living in this. And I'll never forget as one guy came running up to me with tears in his eyes and said, Brother Green, I've never prayed. He was in his 50s. He said, I've never prayed anybody through the Holy Ghost. He said, but I just laid hands on seven people and every one of them instantly spoke in tongues. He said, I just can't believe that it's so easy. And then I had a couple of other people, young people and elders who came to me and said, I've never prayed anybody through until today. I prayed three. I prayed four people through the Holy Ghost. I didn't realize God could use me like this. And so what's so great about that is that there's that momentum there now, because sometimes an evangelist like me can be guilty of taking the momentum with them, you know, that it's all about me, you know. It's, it's, I'm the one providing the spark, the momentum. I'm the one providing the revival. And when I leave, you're going back to who you used to be. It's like, no, 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 no. We need to make sure that, you know, there's a residue there. There's a velocity, a momentum there. So that when I leave, you know, now all those people that prayed somebody through for the first time. Now, next week when I'm not there and Pastor Davis preaches, now they know, oh, there's someone that needs the Holy Ghost. Well, I can do this. Just yesterday, um, I'm here in Portland. Uh, Oregon, and I was I'm preaching revival at the Portland Pentecostals, and and uh, we had people receive the Holy Ghost for the first time yesterday. Um, but one of the great testimonies was uh, there was a, a saint of God. Um, he came, and I didn't even know about this um, until until it was announced from the pulpit. But during the altar call, this saint of God comes up to the platform and he's praying at the altar just like anybody else. And another saint, just to you know, just to lay person in the church he's not a minister not licensed he goes and prays for him five ten minutes later that guy that had been prayed for goes up to the pastor and says pastor he said my back has been in such pain i feel like it's fractured or broken he said i can't i can't stand up straight he said but somebody came and laid their hand on my back and instantly i felt this heat run through my body and i stood completely straight up for the first time in weeks and he said the pain left and my back is completely healed and so brother hansen the pastor grabbed the microphone and said who laid hands on this Man of God, I don't remember their names. Who laid hands on so and so? And this saint, way literally on the back row, kind of like slowly raises his hand, thinking, "Did I do something wrong?" Like, "Oh God, you know, it's social distancing era. Like, what did I do wrong? I'm sorry. I had my mask on." You know, he slowly raises his hand like this, and Pastor Hanson says, "When you laid hands on him, he felt the power of the Holy Ghost and the heat run through his body, and instantly his back was healed." That guy who raised his hand in the back, his face was like, literally like he had seen a Holy Ghost, you know, just like, like, what? And the guy who was healed ran back there and gave him a hug and was like, thank you so much, you know. And, and Brother Hanson, you know, had the pastoral wisdom to say, this is how it should be every week. We should have people stepping out by faith, operating in the gift of faith, operating in the gifts of the spirit, you know. And so for me, that is like a huge success. I love seeing people receive the Holy Ghost. But what I'm not a huge fan of is when nobody will pray for this person in the altar. 
it's like they have the plague, like they have leprosy, or I should say they have COVID-19, you know, <laughs> you don't have a mask on and they're coughing all over the place and they're standing in the altar. And it's like nobody wants to get around them because they need the Holy Ghost. And I have to go pray for them. Of course, I'm, I'm happy to pray for them, but I want them to do it. And I have to go pray for them and they get the Holy Ghost. And everybody just stays back and just says, praise God, another person filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm thinking, man, thank God for that soul. But man, they're going to have to have another evangelist come before someone else, you know, receives the Holy Ghost because they put their entire faith and dependency upon a man of God, a minister, you know. Um, and that's not something that I, I, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see everybody operating. As Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. You know, and so I, I I believe that if you believe, then God can do it through you. But you have to be willing to step out by faith. That's another that's another sermon for another time. But but when I'm step when I'm walking into a church, there is no number in my head that says, okay, this will be a successful service if such and such get the Holy Ghost. If this many get the Holy Ghost, what I want to see is I want to see I want to see people's effort. Did they did they show forth an effort towards God, towards worship, towards prayer, towards the word of God, the spirit of God. Did they show forth an effort? Was there something that was tangibly different that when we walk away from this service, we can go out to eat and say, man, that happened today. That person was saved. That person was delivered. That person was uh, changed and uh, they, they were given direction. You know, this family was reconciled and, and you have, you know, you have tangible testimonies. It doesn't have to be eight people got out of the wheelchair. It doesn't have to be four blind people were healed. It doesn't have to be 22 got the Holy Ghost. It, what it needs to be is man, God moved in a mighty way. I've gone to services where again, We've had 60, 70 people in America, you know, receive the Holy Ghost. Overseas, of course, you know, it, it can be different. I've been in overseas where, you know, 8,000 have received the Holy Ghost in one service and things like that. But but still to this day, I don't go thinking, okay, this many people have to get the Holy Ghost for it to be an effective, successful service for me. What I want to see is I want to see somebody coming to God. I don't care if it's one person, but somebody has come to the Lord today. As the scripture says, Jesus said, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven's angels rejoices when one sinner repents. So I rejoice when somebody comes to God, whether I and of course I can leave a service and say, man, my delivery of that sermon wasn't that great today. And and that's OK to be honest about that. You know, I didn't deliver that sermon like you know, the, the oratory of it, the articulation of it, you know, the delivery of it wasn't as smooth today. I was kind of struggling there today. But, man, somebody came to God. Sometimes I feel like, man, I preached really well today and didn't have anything happen, you know. So that's not the barometer of my success. The barometer of my success is did God move? When I'm walking into a church, what I do is I look at people that I think might be visitors. I look at people that I can tell they need God. As a preacher, you can tell who needs God during the worship service because you're looking around and, you know, they're not texting. They're not yawning and sitting down. They're crying and they're seeking God. That's who I'm looking for before I preach, because I want to know who am I preaching to. I'm not preaching to the deadbeat on their phone, you know, going to sleep over here, waiting to get out of church. I'm looking for somebody that needs Jesus. And when I see that person. Hey, you say, why do you do that? Jesus did it in Luke chapter five. It says when he went to the synagogue, he stood up. He was getting ready to teach. 
and it, he didn't teach anything. He said it, the scriptures as he saw the man in the midst of the multitude, saw the one person with the withered hand and spoke directly to him and said, hey, you man with the withered hand, stand up and come forward, stand in my presence and stretch forth your hand. And his hand was restored. Holds the other. And for yeah. me, that's what I want to do. I want to go in and say, OK, wow, look, there's a that looks like a visitor right there that. Hey, that looks like a somebody that could be strung out on drugs. You know, you don't need discerning of spirits to see some of these things. You have eyes. You can look around. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I'm on the floor, you know, at the front pew during worship. And, you know, when it's really going, I'll kind of just turn around and look around a little bit and see, man, who's seeking God here? Who's going after it? That's who I'm preaching. I'm Scripture says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. I preach to the hungry and the thirsty. I don't preach to those who don't need this. I, I'm not going to waste my time. I don't have time to waste uh, on people that don't want this. You know, so I'm looking for people that want this. And that's who I'm going after uh, before I go preach. And, you know, when there's a response, there's success. Yeah. Wow. It's awesome, man. Um, Jake, you want me to go ahead and ask? Uh, sure. One of the questions I'll get. Okay. So this is uh, just kind of something I figured you probably would definitely have a, a great answer to. But uh, how has your relationship with your pastor, your man of God in your life, helped develop your ministry? Oh, man. There's no words that can truly, um, you know, place the value of, of my pastor. Um I remember when I was attending Urshan Graduate School of Theology and Brother Tom Trimble was my sort of current pastor uh, away from home because I was living in St. Louis. And I remember when I was called to be an evangelist and I was working at State Farm Insurance, selling insurance. And uh, and uh, my Lutheran boss at State Farm calls me in his office, and says, hey, let's go out to lunch. I was like, okay, he had never taken me out to lunch. He's a great guy. Um, we're sitting at lunch, and he's crying. He's tears are in his eyes, and he says, "I have to let you go. I have to fire you." I'm like, what? What did I do? What did I do wrong? And he says, uh, "He said, don't worry. I'm going to pay you through the end of the month." Um, but I don't know how to explain this. He said, "But God has something better for you." And I was like, wow. oh, okay, you know, awesome. this is a Lutheran guy, and and that was when God had called me to be an evangelist. So, and so I'm like, all right. So I go sit down with Brother Trimble who I was interning for, and he was, like I said, sort of my current pastor at the time, and I, I looked at him. I'm, I'm a little too bold. I, I speak and act before I think. So this wasn't probably wise, but I told him we're sitting there eating sandwiches or something, and I said, hey, I'm just letting you know I'm your newest full-time minister at your church. And he was like, what? What are you talking about? You know, we can't. Oh boy. They couldn't afford to do that. And I said, <laughs> well, I said, I, I don't need any money. I said, I have a car you have a Sunday school room and I have a church key. That's all I need. And, uh, he was like, you know, kind of speechless, like what, uh, what, uh, well, uh, you know, and I was like, it's okay. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to serve the church. Like you don't have to pay me anything, but I knew God had called me to be an evangelist. And I knew at the time I wasn't married, didn't have kids and didn't have a career. You know, I lost my job. So I said, okay, this is an opportunity. Um, for me to seek full-time ministry. And a lot of people, man, it, it frustrates me. A lot of people think full-time ministry is a certain number, you know, of a salary or a paycheck. I had someone recently who was, I know, he was offered a, a position at a church 
to be like an assistant pastor. And he said, well, what does it pay? You know, and I get that. Please don't get me wrong. I get that. He said, if it doesn't pay full time, then I'm not going to do it, you know. And I was like, man, there's an opportunity here. You could go and, and win enough people to where then it can be full time, you know. And that's my mentality. And I don't want the money to define my ministry, you know. So anyways, so I, I move into the Sunday school room of the church. And I'm like sleeping in the Sunday school room. My closet is my car. And I'm obviously the first one there and the last one to leave because I'm living there. So I was able to serve the church. And Brother Trimble, I I made it my personality. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just telling you, I didn't know what else to do um, because I wanted to be full time so bad. Like all I wanted to do is ministry. So I would literally serve my pastor in every form and shape I could imagine. I remember one of his hubcaps came flying off of his wheel when he was driving down the road. So, you know, I, I went to an auto shop, got a hubcap, put it on. I, I would take his car and wash it for him, you know, and um, when he would get to church, I would run outside and get his briefcase and walk it in for him, you know, and I would, I would do anything I could to serve the church. Nothing was beneath me, you know, to do. And, and man, there's just so many stories and testimonies that come out of that. But then I graduated from UGST and now Brother Rodney Shaw is my pastor and in Austin, Texas, pastors at New Life, which is the church for some of you who don't know, it's the church Brother Bernard, David Bernard started. Brother Shaw has been there for 25 years and has been the assistant pastor. And, and But for the last 10, 11, 12 years, I forget, has been the pastor now. And the interesting thing, the unique part of our story is that um, Brother Shaw became my pastor when I was traveling. I was an evangelist. And so I was never like there to develop that pastoral relationship with him. And so I, Brother Bernard was originally my pastor when I uh, was at, in Austin. And Brother Bernard becomes the general superintendent. And, and I started attending... Uh, Brother Trimble's church, you know, while I'm at UGST. So it was so weird. It was so confusing because I had Brother Bernard, who's not a pastor anymore, but he's the closest thing I have to a pastor. Then Brother Trimble I'm interning for, and now Brother Shaw is technically the voted pastor. So I'm like, I felt I felt in limbo for a little bit, and that's a dangerous place to be, you know, when you don't have the person that can veto decisions in your life. And when you can say, oh, yeah, he's my pastor, you know, but you can talk to that pastor and he's like, I'm his pastor. I didn't even know that, you know? (laughs) And thankfully when my time caused me to move on from St. Louis, brother Shaw began to reach out to me and he made it his intentional purpose to develop that pastoral relationship. He began calling me at least once a week, texting me a couple times a week saying, Hey man, how are you doing? Um, How are things going? Do you have a place to preach? Do you have a place to stay? Do you need help? I'm praying for you. Are you are you behaving yourself? Are you respecting the church, respecting the pastor? Are you because I was a you know single guy traveling by myself? He's like, are you behaving yourself? Are you being a good boy? You know, I'm like, yes, sir. I'm doing good. You know, and and uh, he he would always make sure. And he he made me. I, I hate to say the word made me. I was happy to do it. He required me in those days to send him my monthly schedule, which. I usually didn't know where I was preaching tomorrow, you know, so, but yeah. it, I would send him my schedule and he would look over that schedule. And if he had to make an adjustment for whatever reason, he would make an adjustment. And I made it my 
consecration to God that whatever my pastor says, I will not question it unless, of course, there's a lack of understanding and I just want to understand. But in terms of obedience, I won't question it. And so sometimes he would say, hey, I don't want you going here. You need to go over here. Or, hey, I need you home and I need you to cancel that revival and I need you home. I'm like, you know, I in my head, I might think, oh, I wonder what for. But I never would call that. What for? I, you know, I'm supposed to preach this place or whatever. I would just say, yes, sir. Call the pastor that I'm supposed to preach that revival for. Say, hey, my pastor said I have to be home. I'm going home. And, you know, if they had problems with it, take it up with my pastor, you know. Um, and if, if they if they didn't like me for that, then I don't want to preach for that person anyways. You know, yeah. that, a person that doesn't understand pastoral submission. When I got married, um, it was about a year or so into our marriage. Yeah, a little over a year, about a year and, you know, a few months or so. We got offered an opportunity that I was going to accept, an opportunity to be an assistant pastor at a church of about a thousand people, give or take. You know, they offered me a six-figure income. They offered me a car. Get this. They offered me a house. <laughs> this wow. is the best part, though. They offered me an office with a shower and a bathroom in it. That's the best part. Oh, man. And I was Loads just like, enough. where do I sign, you know? <laughs> and um, I literally told them, and I love this church. I told them, I was like, you know, I we're going to do this, but we have to pray about it, you know, and just to say we <laughs> prayed about it and uh, talk to my pastor, you know, whatever. And they had done their due diligence to talk to my pastor. And so I set up a meeting with my pastor. I set up a three day fast with God. And and I said, all right, you know, just we're just going to go through this little thing to say we did it, you know. And on the first day of that fast, I had a meeting with my pastor. I wake up that morning. I go to his office, go to his church, sit down with him. Brother Shaw sits on the edge of his seat, and he had heard from God. Here, my wife, we're struggling evangelists. We sometimes don't know where we're preaching the next week, which means we don't know where our next paycheck's coming from. You know, we had more holes in our schedule than Swiss cheese, you know, and, and it was living by faith, obviously. And and But here's this great, grand opportunity, you know. And uh, it was a no-brainer for us. Well, my pastor sits on the edge of his seat and says, Thus saith the Lord. Boom! And just starts prophesying to us. And I'm just... And my pastor isn't like... He's not... When I say he's not like that, I don't mean he doesn't prophesy. I just mean like... He's not... He doesn't walk in this ethereal, you know, majestic, like, cloud of prophecy and stuff. He doesn't always do that. He's more... He's very like Brother Bernard, if you know... You know, the way Brother Bernard is, is our superintendent, he's very logical. And he's like, well, yeah. you know, let's lay it out, pros and cons. But not this day. He said, I've heard from God. Boom. And I was like, oh, okay. And he didn't say no. He didn't say don't go to that church. He just said, this is what will happen if you continue down the path God has already laid before you as an evangelist. He said, yeah. but the choice is yours. So I walk out of his office. I call my wife. You know, remember, this was the first morning of a three-day fast i called my wife i said hey babe uh, i'm coming to pick you up i'm gonna take you out to lunch <laughs> she goes i thought we were on a three-day fast i said fast <laughs> is over we have heard from god i said if we keep fasting it will be an indictment on the provision of god he just gave us god just spoke to us you know it was the best three-day fast i've ever done um but literally everything my pastor said has come to pass you know from from that moment and that was years ago now that was you know, uh, 
six years ago or so, five years or five or six years ago, and everything he said just boom, 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 lined up. But it, it to me, it made no sense. It was like here's this grand opportunity that people would kill to have, you know. And I, I've been blessed to get this opportunity. I'm taking it. My pastor said, "I see something." My pastor, through prayer as a shepherd and a visionary, he yeah. could see something that I could not see because I had these, you know. Uh, this infatuation goggles on of this opportunity, you know, and my pastor could see the greater opportunity that, um, you know, as my pastor could see the perfect will of God when I was about to settle for something less, you know, and the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. And because God had given my pastor the vision for me and I trusted him, I can tell you literally, literally uh, I could spend hours telling you the things I've done wrong. But the one thing I've done right is I've never questioned my walk, uh, my pastor's walk with God. When my pastor calls, when my pastor texts, when my pastor reaches out, it's like, boom. In fact, two, uh, no, not two. Yeah, about two months ago, my pastor texted me and said, hey, um, where are you preaching at this week? And I said, well, I've got this opportunity and this, uh, this, I've got these three invitations and I haven't figured out which one I'm supposed to do yet. And he literally texted back and he says, don't do any of them. Just sit and uh, rest this week. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, you're easy for you to say, you know, like you're not the one who's not going to get paid this week. And you're not the one that's going to feel like you, you know, didn't follow the will of God. But the moment he said that, I just said, yes, sir. You know, and that same day, this is a little private, I, but I'm sharing it publicly. This is a little transparent. My wife's father collapsed that same day, who's the pastor of the church where we've been staying at during the COVID shutdown. The pastor of this church collapsed. My wife's father, he collapsed from a like a physical uh, attack, you know, a, a spiritual yeah. attack that caused a, a physical pain. That's a long story. He collapsed that day and ended up having to be taken out in an ambulance. And I ended up yeah. being here for that, you know. Um, and helping the church through that that situation that week, you know, um, man, I could tell stories all day. I had a trip overseas to preach a crusade um, just this year before COVID. I had a trip to preach overseas, and um, it was the strangest thing. I've done this crusade before overseas. I won't say where it is, but it's in another country, and and I've done this crusade before, and it's amazing. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. But for the strangest reason, I felt a lack of peace about it. Like, I'm not supposed to go for some reason. But and then I was like, no, that's just me. Like, I'm, I'm just tired and I don't want to be on that 30 hour plane ride overseas, you know. Yeah. But the Sunday that I was supposed to leave, I prayed about it and I said, God, if you don't want me to go on this trip, you you need to confirm this to me. Make a way like show me. And I'm literally driving to the airport. And I'm telling my wife who's driving me to the airport, I was like, I just don't feel I don't know if I'm supposed to go or not. And my pastor texted me who had no idea I was going overseas that day. I probably should have told him my fault, but he had no idea I was going overseas that day. He texted me and he said, hey, are you doing any overseas trips coming up? And I said, yeah, to, like today I'm, I'm supposed to go overseas. And he says, what do you mean supposed to? And I said, well, I'm scheduled to go, but I'm kind of not sure if I'm supposed to go or not. You know, I was like, yeah. I'm kind of been praying about it. He goes, I just heard from God and God said, don't go. You need to cancel that trip and you need to stay home and rest and take care of your family. And I said, yes, sir. 
called the missionary. I said, look, I just heard from God and my pastor. They said, don't go. Missionary said, no problem. They took care of it. And guess what? There were still seven or 8,000 people that got the Holy Ghost that week, you know? And, awesome. and, and for me, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, you put the pressure on you. Like, nobody's going to get the Holy Ghost. Or what if, you know, this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen? Hey, is God in control or is God in control, you know? But the yeah. moment my pastor said, hey, I said, yes, sir. Like, no question about it. And I felt so much peace about it um, because I knew my pastor was behind me. So I challenge everybody that's listening to this. You need to have a submission and a consecration and a trust in, in your pastor, a trust in their walk with God that when they say it, yes, there's nothing wrong with going to them and saying, hey, pastor, do you mind just kind of filling me in on some of the details there or maybe help me understand this so I can just know for the future? You know, there's nothing wrong with a submissive spirit that asks questions. There is something wrong with, you know, a, a speculative spirit that goes in there you know, uh, with confusion and says, what's your problem? Why did you say to do this? I was supposed to preach this conference and I was supposed to do this, you know, whatever. Forget all that nonsense, you know, but when your pastor says, Hey, I've been praying for you and I have a word from God, you need to submit to that and say, God, I believe that my pastor literally is my shepherd. So when he speaks, it's as good as God speaking to me. When my pastor says yes, it's yes. And when he says no, it's no. And there's no questions about it. And I promise you, when you have that kind of submission to to uh, the pastor, the man of God in your life, there will be a blessing and a favor of God that will rest upon you that you have never experienced before in your life. That's awesome, man. Thank you for that. Um, uh, I've got I've got just one more question, and I'll uh, turn it over to Jake for the rest of the time. I just got one more question I'd like to ask you. If that's all right. Um, so after after you come to the Lord, you I mean uh, maybe through this you could share a little bit of your testimony how you initially come to like the Holy Ghost experience. Uh, how did the church or the people you were around help you in your early stages of being like a new believer, just receiving the Holy Ghost. How were, how were some ways you were discipled that have stuck with you that you could share with us today? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I was raised in church, but I was raised, you know, in a church that used to be Pentecostal, used to be apostolic and they left the, they left literally the organization of the United Pentecostal Church International. This was my grandfather who was pastoring the church. They left, they left the church, uh, or they left the United the UPC, and they left uh, Truth. They compromised, and all of the above, you know. So, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. We believed in that. I was baptized in Jesus' name. Thank God, and we believed in that. But uh, we compromised everything else. So I was raised in the church that was formerly Pentecostal, which is a very dangerous place to be because it's more dangerous to be close than it is to be far uh, away. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, because when you're close, it's 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 a it's a place of deception where you think, well, wait, yeah. man, I'm speaking in tongues, you know, so I'm seeing people healed. I'm seeing people delivered. So I must be right with God. It's more dangerous to be there than it is to be completely backslidden. And that's where I was raised. And when I was 16 years old, I had broken my arm at a baseball tryout at Louisiana State University, and and uh, long long story short, my father was telling me, you know, was trying to cheer me up, and he said, "Man, I," he said, "You should be happy that you even get to play baseball because I didn't play baseball when I was your age. I was Pentecostal." And I was like, "What does that mean?" You know, 
He's like, well, we didn't have time for sports. You know, we had six week revivals, you know, in the summer and 12 week revivals. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know? So he's like, well, we had youth camp. And I'm like, what's youth camp? We had camp meeting. What's camp meeting? We had general conference. And I'm asking all these questions. So he's just telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I want to go find this. You know, I want to go check this out. Do they still do this stuff? And he's like, yeah, they do this stuff. And uh, my dad, who is now the pastor of this compromised, charismatic, whatever you want to call it, church. He was like, yeah, why don't you go to the Texas camp meeting, you know, the UPC camp meeting. And uh, so I did two weeks later and I walk in and I felt something I never felt before. I felt the power of God like I've never felt before. I fell to my face and I said, God, what is this? And God spoke to me and said, I used to show up like this at your church until you compromised um, your walk with me. He said, now I stand at the door of your church knocking. And if anyone in your church would hear my voice and open the door, I would come back in your church like this. And I'm 16 years old. and I hear all this from God. I run out of that tabernacle and I call my dad, who's a former Pentecostal, now a charismatic preacher, pastor. And I said, dad, God just spoke to me. 16 I've, I've never heard the voice of god in my life yeah. i said god just said he used to show up like this at our church i said what are we doing wrong my dad said i'll call you back hangs up the phone he says pamela my mom he says pack your bags we're headed to texas camp meeting because our son has just found what our church has lost my parents That's came awesome. the next day and as uh, foreign pentecostals god refilled them with the holy ghost restored them and the holy ghost my mom, fully blown, you know, like you can see it, you know, on women more than you can on men, you know, because, you know, uh, she's got earrings, cut hair, pants, makeup, the whole thing. And she comes and everybody in the whole place knows them because, you know, that's how UPC is, you know. Um, they were front page tabloid magazines and, you know, uh, Pentecostal magazine in 1990 for leaving the UPC. And now here they show up 17, 16 years later. And everybody's like, what in God's name are they doing here? You know, and here they are at the altar, you know, praying through to the Holy Ghost. And now today they're Pentecostal UPC ministers again, pastors. And awesome. and so when I came into this, uh, I, I just remember going to y'all's youth camps, UPC youth camps as a teenager and, and just being blown away. I'd never seen any, I'd never seen more than a hundred people gather at church before. And, but, but a hundred Pentecostals. I mean, or, uh, you know, 500 Pentecostals, forget about it, you know, or at Texas camp meeting 10,000, you know, and, and, uh, so it just blew my mind, you know? And so when I came into this, I remember we, uh, it was five years later, my dad resigned and we started attending brother Bernard's church. And I was so bitter and angry because it wasn't my church. I went from being the pastor's son and the drummer, you know, I was the the main drummer of the church. And I was now one of the sort of the youth. I wasn't the youth pastor, but I was on the youth committee, you know, and I had a leadership. And now I'm sitting on the back row and nobody knows me. And this isn't my church. And this isn't my dad. And who's Brother Bernard? Who cares about these people? And blah, blah, blah. And, And man, God started to move in that place. And I'm like, okay. Okay, and next thing you know, I'm crying and still sitting down, but like, oh, and God speaks to me and says, hey, I'm still God, and you need to follow me. You need to worship me, and I go to the altar, and the first person that laid their hand on me was Sister Bernard, and she just began to minister, you know, the love and grace of God upon me, and yeah. and the thing that helped me, the discipleship like that you're talking about that helped me was the fellowship with the people of God and being able to spend time. Uh, later, years later, when I did all the internships I've already mentioned, I did five different internships at, during my time at Urshan Graduate School. And on some of those occasions, I would live with the pastor and their family 
um, and I would live with them for the summer or for a month here, a month there. And so I went from, you know, a charismatic home that pretty much allowed anything in our home just about to now I'm living in a pen. It, it, it was so different from just experiencing a Pentecostal church to now living the lifestyle in a Pentecostal minister's home. And yeah. that's what really changed my life. You know, um, I think that the greatest form of discipleship is fellowship. You know, when uh, teaching is great, Bible, Bible studies are great. We need all of that. Um, but man, when you can hang out with a brother and a sister and somebody that's new in the faith, and you know, go hang out, go get coffee or whatever, you're forming those bonds. That's why the Bible speaks of breaking bread, you know, from house to house. Like that's a, that's fellowship, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think the greatest form of discipleship for me has been that fellowship with the body. And so that's what I personally love about because of the times general conference, youth Congress, you know, different conferences that we have because it's that fellowship, you know, that man, I, I can't wait until I get to call my, buddies my brothers in christ and say let's go out to eat let's get coffee let's stay up late and talk you know the things of god and um i love those moments you know and i still i have a group of minister friends that are in my age bracket you know and we go have we go have a a husband and wives retreat just like four four husbands four wives whatever and we go have a retreat and we 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 grill out and we pray together we do devotions and it's just that fellowship you know that challenges me yeah. um because if you think i was raised with so many different things that i come into pentecost and i'm like wait wait wait, wait. you know i can't wear a pair of shorts now you know wait i can't have a tv in my house like or hey wait i can't i can't do this now and it's like wait i don't understand well, it was just a lack of understanding. Well, now when I'm fellowshipping with people and I see how they live and I see the purpose and I see the response and I see the, the, the love of God on their life, the favor of God on their life, and I'm challenged by them, now it's rubbing off on me. And now I'm the one that's saying, man, we need to cut this out. We, we, we need to give that to God. We need to consecrate that. We need to turn aside from that, you know, and it's rubbed off on me to be a better person by uh, surrounding myself by people that I feel are better than me, if that makes sense. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Um, Speaking of uh, people, surrounding yourself with people, and even talking, uh, even going back kind of to the leadership, uh, can you tell us a little bit about maybe some mentors or other evangelists that have spoken into your life and kind of formed you into who you are today as an evangelist or someone who's maybe a evangelist mentor in your life? Yes. Great question. And, uh, forgive me. Um, uh, if, if I shorten this answer, I have yeah. church in an hour, so yeah. And oh, like yeah. 45 yeah, minutes drive, but this it's will all be good. Probably our last question. I was about to okay, say, okay, no worries. So. <laughs> this has been amazing. I'm the one that's rambling on too long, but, uh, yeah. hey, don't um, worry about it. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> So this is a great question, and I think that everybody um, needs to have voices in their life, even voices outside the pastor. That's something that my pastor saw. My pastor has never evangelized. Um, so I, years ago, I would ask my pastor a question. You know, six, seven years ago, I'd ask him a question about, man, what do I do about this? This happened. What do I do? And he could give me some advice, but he didn't have experiential wisdom from that. So he would literally tell me, my pastor is so secure. He's not worried about somebody outshining him or, you know, any any of that stuff. So he would say, hey, you need to contact an elder evangelist or someone that has evangelized 
and ask them that question. You need to, you need to develop a relationship with someone who has evangelized and let them speak into your life. So thankfully God has provided that. I've got three, what I would call mentoral, mentoral, I don't know if that's a word, mentor voices in my life and one pastor. Brother Shaw is my pastor. And I've got three other voices in my life who are elders that God has placed in my life. I didn't go asking people, hey, will you be my mentor? Hey, will you be my mentor? I didn't do any of that. But God literally, it was a divine ordained God connection that was made you know, in ministry or at conferences or different places overseas or different places. And literally like there was a relationship that was built. And over a course of time, they naturally um, and spiritually kind of became a voice in my life. And so I, I want to be very clear about something, though. Those three voices will never trump the voice of my pastor. And yeah. because and this is a confirmation of them being ordained of God, not one of them have ever contradicted each other. Going back to the story of when my pastor prophesied to me about that big church with the you know office with the shower in it. <laughs> and my pastor <laughs> prophesied to me that day. I called one of those mentors and I called him when I left because he had been praying for me about this decision. And I said, hey, what are you feeling about this? When he spoke, I promise you, every word he said was exactly what my pastor had said. It was identical to what my pastor had said. And so I knew, okay, this is a God thing because they're linked up. They're equally yoked here, you know. And so I have I have a prophet in my life. Um, and I don't want to name names uh, because people get discouraged. You know, they say, well, I don't have somebody like that in my life. Wait. We don't need to play the comparison game. You know, God puts people in your life who you need in your life, you know, and we get in this game in Pentecost that people go seeking the high pedestals of, you know, uh, re uh, revered preachers, you know, the conference preachers. Oh, if only I had them in my life. No, forget that. Um, this, Paul said that God places everyone in the body where he pleases. It pleases God uh, where he's placed you in the body. So my point is, is don't go seeking certain voices, you know, pray and say, God, give me a voice in my life who can help me. Um, and so anyways, I have a prophet in my life who's like a grandfather figure in my life. Uh, um, I call him dad because he's like a dad in my life. He's an elder. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I have an evangelist who's still an international evangelist today. He's a missionary and an international evangelist. And then I have another man who's sort of a voice of stability in my life, you know, that tells me the things I really need to hear. Um, and, but beyond those four voices, I have four spiritual brothers who are not biological brothers, but I have four brothers and I could name them. Um, two of them are full-time evangelists and two of them are pastors. Um, but they're all within a few years of my age, okay? And the Lord showed me this, and I'll end with this. Those four elders in my life, they are like the, they're um, superior to me, if you will. They are above me, and I cannot go above them. I can only go as high as my elders will allow me to go, and that is a cautionary uh, protection and provision of God that won't allow me to supersede them. You know, 
Um, I may get to preach a conference that they've never preached, but I, I'm not superior to them. I may preach this. I may have this opportunity that they never got, but I'm not superior to them. They are above me. I look up to them. I'm beneath them. I'm under them. I'm submitted to them. And so they keep me from going too high, too fast. Okay. But my brothers, now I don't think they're inferior to me. I've already said I, I surround myself around brothers who are better than me spiritually. They love God more than I love God, you know, but I see them as this, this protection below me in a way. Please don't think I'm saying they're under me. They're inferior to me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that they keep me that from falling too far. When I do fall and I fall almost day, I fall all the time. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. But when I fall or when I have a, a, a season of discouragement or doubt or dryness in my prayer life and I fall, I can fall upon the trust of that relationship with those brothers in my life because I can speak to my brothers in a way I can't speak to my elders. Yes. There's some things that you can go to your pastor and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, but you leave out the details because there's this like fear and this reverence and this respect. It's like yes, I'll tell you what's happened, but I, man, I'm embarrassed to share every little, you know, every little detail. But with my brothers, I can go to them and say, Hey, I did this. And it was exactly like this. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm not, I'm not fearful of them because we're equal. We're, we're brothers. And I know that the day after I struggle with this, they're going to struggle with that. You know what I mean? And we're going to share that with each other. We confess our faults one to another and we pray for one another that we may be healed. And so those four brothers in my life are almost, they, they are almost on the level of importance as my elders because everybody falls, but those, those brothers keep me from falling too far, if that makes sense. So I believe that everybody needs an elder Everybody needs a pastor and everybody needs an accountability partner, whether that's, you know, a brother or a spiritual sister, uh, somebody that you can say, hey, let's go on a 21 day fast together. These brothers of mine, literally, we we sharpen each other. It, it, it gets competitive almost like recently uh, at the beginning of covid. One of them said, hey, why don't we read the Bible in 90 days? The other one said, well, I think we should read the Bible in 30 days. <laughs> so oh, it's like, yeah, well, we, I think we should read the Bible in 30 minutes, you know. No. <laughs> so we literally we challenged each other to read the Bible all the way through in 30 days. And we did it. And a couple yeah. of us have continued doing it every month. And we've gone on 40 day fast together. We've gone on 21 day fast together. We've gone on yeah. three day fast together. And I can tell you this. I wouldn't have accomplished uh, have accomplished most of those things, if it wasn't for those brothers of mine doing it with me. See, but my elder, that's not somebody I want to call every day and say, hey, did you read your Bible today? Okay, did you check that out? You know, hey, you know, are you fasting with me? Because they've got their families and they've got their stuff, you know, but there's somebody I plug into at least once a month. My pastor is at least once a week, but the other voices are at least once a month. My brothers are almost too much. We we text and call every day and it's almost too much but i appreciate that relationship so that's that's my relationship with the voices in my life awesome all right praise the lord and this has been awesome i know you've got to get to church pretty soon so uh would you mind just closing us out in prayer and if you have any final words to say you can say them now and just uh, amen 
Well, first of all, thank you so much for this opportunity. I consider it a high, a high honor to be able to be with you and all of you that are listening. I just pray that the Lord will minister to you. Open your heart to God. Take a step of faith and do something in this season that you have never done before. This is the season of being radical. This is the season of sacrifice. This isn't the season of lazy, of apathetic. This isn't the season of sit back and vacation and watch Netflix. This is the season of going forward. Yeah. God is doing unprecedented things that he that we have never seen before in this hour. These are the last days. So I want to pray for everybody right now, the faith and the courage to step out of that boat like Simon Peter. When you think about it, Simon Peter stepped out of the boat in the midst of a storm and he walked on water. And the scripture says that, yes, he began to sink because he got distracted and Jesus rescued him. But watch, here's the revelation. When Jesus rescued him, Jesus said, you have little faith, which means Peter walked on water with little faith. You can do the impossible with little faith as long as you are walking towards Jesus. It's not your faith that's going to allow you to do things that no one else is doing. It's going to be your pursuit of Jesus. Hebrews 11 and 6 says he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It doesn't say he's a rewarder of them that find him. You don't have to find him. You just have to diligently seek him. Hosea 5, and I think it's 15, says, In their time of affliction, they will seek me early. That word affliction translates to a tight place of distress. And the word early, it does mean early, unfortunately, but it also means diligently. So in their time of affliction, everybody is in a time of affliction right now. He said, in their time of affliction, they will seek me diligently. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, I will reward those who diligently seek me. Don't worry about finding him. Don't worry about about all the external things. Just worry about seeking God like you have never sought him before, like Simon Peter did. He had never sought God walking on water, but he said, Jesus, if it's you, invite me to come to you walking on the water. And because he was seeking Jesus in a way he had never done before he was able to walk on the uh, the waters of impossibility I speak that word of faith and prophecy to somebody here tonight that God is going to allow you to walk upon situations storms he's going going to allow you to walk upon obstacles that have been resisting you and opposing you you're going to be allowed and able to uh, defeat enemies that you have never defeated before simply because you're going to seek God like you have never sought him before. Let's pray together. Would you close your eyes and lift your hands by the authority that's in the word of God and by the power that's in the name of Jesus Christ. I release the gift of faith. I release the gifts of the spirit. Give us the faith. Give us the courage. Give us whatever it takes to get out of our boat of complacency. Our boat of compromise. Our boat of convenience. Our boat of safe. Our boat of what we understand and walk into the storm, walk into the dark night of the deep waters. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I seek thee diligently and I open my heart for the reward of the Holy Ghost to receive what Tara has promised unto me in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, no weapon that is formed 
against us is able to prosper because greater is he in me than he that is in the world. I receive it right now by the power of the name of Jesus. I receive it right now by the authority of the word of God. Go forth, go forth, go forth, go forth in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I, I'm, I've really got to go. I'm being late to church, but I got to share what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Exposure, exposure breeds greater faith. Exposure breeds greater faith. We've got it backwards. We think I need greater faith to be exposed to greater things, but exposure to great greater things is what breeds a greater faith let me explain it when you see a blind eye healed you can't unsee that when you see a deaf ear open you can't unsee that when you see people filled with the holy ghost as you are praying for them you can't unsee that but what i feel in the holy ghost is to tell somebody that you need to step out of your boat of convenience complacency and comfort you need to step out of your boat of understand. I understand the boat. The boat is my place of understand. I don't understand how to walk on water. And watch this. When he said, Jesus, if you want me to come walking on the water, invite me to come. Yeah. Jesus didn't have to teach him how to walk on water. How do you teach somebody how to do the mir- miraculous? This is what Jesus said. One word. Come. Come. Come be exposed to the miraculous. That exposure breeds about a greater faith. It's no coincidence that the very next day when you go read your Bible, the very or technically the same day, because it was past midnight when that happened, Peter walking on water. But that same afternoon, over 10,000 disciples that John chapter 10, uh, John chapter 6 calls it disciples. Over 10,000 of them rebelled and backslid and deserted Jesus. And Jesus looks at his 12 disciples who are sitting there and he says, will you betray me also? Will you will you leave me also? It's no coincidence that it was Peter who stood up and said, Jesus, who else can we go to? Amen. Yeah. You have the words of eternal life. He said, you are the son of the living God. It's no coincidence that when Jesus said, who do, who do you say that I am? It was Peter that said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes. It's no coincidence that it was that it was Peter on the day of Pentecost that stood up and preached. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then he said, repent and be baptized. And this promise is to you and your church. It's no coincidence that it was Peter's shadow that was cast over people, that they were healed. It's no coincidence that Peter uh, preached for the crippled man to be healed. It's no coincidence that it was Peter who was preaching in Acts chapter 10 to the first Gentile recipient of the Holy Ghost that while Peter spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them. It's no coincidence. Why? Because he was exposed to the miraculous when he stepped out of the boat, which breed, uh, which bred a greater faith. Somebody in this season needs to step out of their boat and be exposed to the miraculous. It will breed a greater faith in your life. When you see something that you've never seen before 
it sticks in your mind, in your heart. It stirs you up and it causes a greater faith for you to go deeper in God. I leave that with you. I challenge you all to step out of your boat in the name of Jesus. God bless you. All right, bro. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you got to get to church, so uh, we will talk to you later. I would love to keep going, (laughs) but I know you got to go. So (laughs) praise the Lord. God bless you guys. God bless you. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. I guess we'll...